0: Hello, everyone. And again, uh, I think it was mentioned, that was wonderful singing and uh, enjoyed that. I hope you did, too, on this, our Woodside Family Sunday. And it's great to see you here. Uh, For those in the Fellowship Hall, thank you for joining us as well and for those online. So it's great to see you and I hope you have a great rest of the day. Well, we are in week three of our teaching series called Love and Marriage, where for six weeks we're looking at God's design for marriage. God created marriage. It's not a construct of man. And the model marriage, the way that he designed it, is the first marriage. And uh, uh, God, after creating man and then creating woman, uh, says this, in Genesis 2. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That God's design, if you are married, if you are looking to be married, God's design for your relationship is that in this relationship, it would be a priority. That it would be a priority. Could we get the next slide there? That it would be a priority and then that it would be permanent, which involves an ongoing pursuit, and that uh, this couple would be one, that uh, they would go through life with this inner closeness, this inner connection, uh, experiencing physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, and spiritual intimacy. That's God's design, God's will for marriage. The challenge for us is that over time, this relationship can cease to be a priority, We can cease to pursue our spouse, and then we find ourselves, instead of experiencing oneness, we find ourselves alone and disconnected, that we're kind of going through the motions. We're living under the same roof, but we really aren't experiencing the joy of being one. Uh, For those looking to get married, can I just give you a heads up? Some of you that are married, would you just kind of turn to somebody looking to get married and say, what he's saying is true, okay? Okay. Good marriages, godly marriages, don't just happen. They take work, lots of work. Uh, There's like thousands of times you have to die to unselfishness. There's countless difficult conversations that you have to have. You have to pray hundreds of prayers for wisdom, patience, and understanding. You have to say sorry too many times to count. It takes a lot of work but it can be beautiful. As we continue today in week number three, we're looking at here comes the bride. Paul, writing 2,000 years ago, gave instructions. We looked at that to the husband. when here comes the the groom, uh, that he is to love and to treasure his wife. And today we're looking at the wife. She is to support and encourage her her husband, and that will bring about this oneness, this peace. And the passage we have today is our favorite passage in Scripture, Ephesians 5, where we talk about submitting. I mean, what a wonderful text for here, Woodside Family Sunday. This text has been so misused, so misunderstood. Maybe you're here, and it's a trigger for you. Would, would you just hang in there uh, with me this morning? Because this passage... It's not about power and control. It's not. A, it's not about that. It's about design. It's not about putting someone down. It's about lifting each other up. And I hope you get the correct teaching today, and you can grab a hold of that. And so, if you're single, uh, if you're divorced, if you're a widow or a widower, if you're married, I believe God has something. Uh, for you uh, to learn today. So before we look at Ephesians 5, I invite you to turn there. Before we look at the context context in which Paul is giving these instructions to the husband and the wife, because his goal is this oneness. His goal is that they would keep the husband and wife, their hearts turned to one another. The goal is not letting your hearts turn from each other. So that's his goal, but you've got to put his instructions in the right context. So before we look at the Ephesians 5 context, let's talk about for a moment again about the historical context. If we go back 2,000 years ago uh, to Europe and uh, the Middle East, the Roman Empire, in the Greco-Roman world, we ask the question, what were marriages like? Well, it was a patriarchal society. The male had all the power in the public square, and the male, the husband, had all the power in the marriage, in the home. Uh, women, for the most part, were disdained. Uh, they were not seen as equals, and they were not treated as equals. As I've mentioned before, they were like one step up in the ladder from cattle. Uh, they, were, they were just nothing. Uh, we talked last week about the Greek writer writing about 300 years before Paul gives these instructions. Uh, Demothenes, who said, the husband... He's to find pleasure with prostitutes and concubines, and his wife is to be at home fulfilling her two duties, right bearing children and keeping house. Okay. Also, in the public square, we have a philosopher called Aristotle, uh, who said some good things, but he uh, said about uh, women, like as leaders in the public square, he said, it seems to me that women aren't leaders because they don't have the mental capacities or they don't have the strength of character to fulfill the responsibilities. Okay, so women were nothing. So when, excuse me, when you hear someone, or I hear someone who says, Paul is a chauvinist, he's putting women down, I remind myself the person is oblivious to the context. Paul is lifting women up because Paul is following the one who lifts women up. If you trace gender equality today, and and it's a good thing, women have had to fight for certain things, but it's a good thing, gender equality, and it all goes back to Jesus Christ. It goes back to the God who made us in his image, male and female. So this is not Paul putting women down. He is lifting it up up, not just among the Greeks and the Romans, but in the Jewish world as well, because to the Jewish males, they did feel superior uh, to women. Uh, Most of them would start their daily prayer with, thank God I'm not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. So here comes Paul with the good news of Jesus Christ when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you meet Him, you realize that you were made by Him and for Him, you turn from your sin, and you put your faith in Him. When you become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, it changes every part of your life. And Paul says, it changes your marriage too. So that's the context that he's speaking to. He's saying, You're, everybody's doing marriage the wrong way. That's not God's design. God's design. Okay, the husband is distant from his wife, and his wife, uh, she's distant from her husband. And in fact, in that day, the husbands were using their, their wives, and the wives, there was a little push of feminism where there, there were some women saying, We're not taking this anymore. And so they were trying to, to lord it over the men. There was just battle going on. And so that's the context Paul is speaking the good news of Jesus into. So Ephesians chapter five, and again, here comes the bride. So here we go. Paul's speaking the good news of Jesus into uh, our, our lives. Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit means to come under. He's speaking to the church, to those that follow Jesus. In the church, there's n- not to be inequality. Now, in the church, it's made up of little churches, of singles and marrieds, and this directly applies to a husband and wife. husbands, And wives submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a call for mutual submission. In your marriage, there should be times that you, as the husband, is saying, let's do this, and the wife says, yes, let's do that. There's times the wife says, no, let's do this. And you say, okay, let's do this. It's a mutual submission. It's a dance. The Christian marriage is a dance of two people submitting to one another. I want to, before we move on, mention the most important issue in marriage. It's not different personalities. It's not different perspectives on how to raise children. It's not different fill-in-the-blank. The most important issue in marriage is the husband and wife's personal relationship with God in the person of Jesus Christ. Notice, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because you understand how great God is, you understand how good God is, you understand that without God, you are nothing. You were made by Him and for Him. And you understand He loved you so much to come to this world, to die on a cross for you, so that you could have a relationship with Him, forgiveness of sins and relationship with Him for all eternity. Out of that reverence for Him, turn to your wife, turn to your husband, and do the dance, submit to one another, yield to one another. Now, if the husband or the wife doesn't understand Christ, isn't really pursuing Christ, the challenge is is that sometimes that husband or wife transfers those needs onto the spouse, that they start looking for their spouse to meet the needs that only God can meet. Our deepest needs, your deepest needs, all of us here, our deepest needs for identity, uh, acceptance, security, and purpose are all found in God. He designed it so that only He could meet them. In other words, your primary identity, who am I, is not to be I'm a husband, I'm a wife. It's to be I'm a follower of, of God, of Christ. Your security, yes, in a marriage, we'll talk about this uh, next week, we can help each other uh, feel secure and be secure in this relationship, but our ultimate security is in Him. Our ultimate acceptance is in Him, that all of us are to find those deepest needs in Him. And what happens is, if we stop pursuing Him, we start looking to our spouse and say, you make me happy, or you should do this for me, and you put pressure on that relationship. The second reason that Jesus is so important in a relationship is not only because he meets our deepest needs, is because he gives us power. He gives us power to love our spouse. When I'm out of reverence for Christ or the husband out of reverence for Christ is submitting to him, then I'm going to submit to his will for, for my marriage. He doesn't... Did you... Everybody married here? God's will in marriage is not to be harsh, it's to be gentle and kind. God's will in marriage is not to be selfish, it's to be unselfish. God's will in marriage is not to be arrogant, it's to be considerate. And so when I'm growing in my relationship with Jesus, he is working on these things. So the most important issue, if you're struggling in your marriage right now, it's you and your spouse turning to Christ, asking him to meet your deepest needs, and understanding what that is, and then it's asking Him to give you the power that you would submit to Him, and in doing so, submit to one another. So, mutual edification in marriage. Beautiful thing. Paul also gives this instruction to the husbands. We talked about this last week. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Husbands, you love your wife, and we talked about this last week, you treasure your wife. Now, can you imagine 2,000 years ago, you had these um, husbands who heard the good news about Jesus, and now they were followers of Jesus. Who for years had been taught, who had seen how to be a husband. So the response to Paul would have been, uh, "Paul, my wife is my property. Paul, my wife is my possession. Paul, my wife is not my equal." And I'm not going to love her, and I'm not going to submit her to her. I'm going to continue to rule her. I'm going to continue to control her. I'm going to continue to use her. Do you realize Paul is not a feminist or a chauvinist? He is someone who's saying, no, that's not how you treat your wife. You are to love her. You are to lay down your life for her. Uh, Any women here, you're kind of like, oh, Paul, I don't really like that. I wouldn't want a husband laying down his life for me and caring about me and treasuring me. No, he's lifting the woman and women up. So it's in that context that he says and gives these instructions to the wife. And we're going to look at two instructions. Verse 22, wives, here it is, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything or in all areas. Okay, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Wives submit, your husband's the head. Okay, first of all, if you are here today as a wife and you've ever had this passage used against you, that's wrong. If you've ever been dehumanized or devalued, that's wrong. This verse, in its right context, is not about power and control. It's about design it's about Paul knowing that the husband, he has these tendencies, the wives has these tendencies, and it's about unity and helping them to continue to turn their hearts towards each other and be one. So we ask the question, why does Paul here say, love your wife and treasure her? And now he's going to tell the wife, you submit, you support your husband and encourage her. Because they're both to be loving each other, both submitting each other. He's dealing with their uniqueness. Men and women, husbands and wives, have similarities, but they are different. They're not fundamentally interchangeable. We live in a culture today where we hear this message, men and women are interchangeable, we're all the same, non-binary, non-binary and we'll get to that issue in the next series, Created Bodies. But like, the reason women are like this and men are like this is simply due to society and social constructs. constructs. Not true. Medical and social science research shows there are inherent differences between males and females. Cutting-edge technology is making that more and more clear. The brain of a man is different from the brain of a woman. Anybody who didn't go to university, you still know that? Okay, it's fundamentally different. And Paul is addressing that uniqueness. You're both loving each other. You're both supporting each other. But men, you have this tendency, so I'm highlighting you love and you treasure. Women, you have this tendency, so I'm saying you support him and encourage him. Now, the part about the head, it goes back to the garden. Paul uh, quotes the original marriage, but in the original marriage, when uh, they have this harmonious marriage, they are one with each other and with God. The tempter, the devil, comes to them and says to the woman, did God really say, wanting her to believe God is not a good God. His design, his way is not best. Did God really say? And he tempts her to eat the fruit, and she, without consulting God, without consulting her husband, she takes it and eats it. She's autonomous. She's doing what she wants to do. The husband, Adam, is right there beside her, and we know that because she gave him the fruit. He's passive. He doesn't step in at all. And so Paul is saying, wants you to know, husbands and wives, that in God's design, the husband is going to give an account for his wife, and if they have children, for the family. Husband comes from the word house band, which means to stretch a band around, that the husband is going to stand before God and give an account. You're to be leading, you're the head. You know, we'll talk about in a moment what that looks like. So Paul has this idea that yes, there are a lot of similarities, but they are different. And so wives submit. It has the idea of of supporting, of yielding to your husband. And again, Paul is not sexist. He's not oppressive. This is not demeaning. Uh, Let me talk just for a moment what submission doesn't mean. Okay, submission doesn't mean that the person submitting is inferior. Okay, so wives are not inferior. They're equal. Jesus the Son of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. The Holy Spirit submits to Jesus and lifts him up. So there's a whole lot of submission going on in the Godhead in a marriage. There's a whole lot of submission going on. It doesn't mean anybody's less equal, not at all. And it doesn't mean that whoever's submitting, because we're to submit uh, to one another, uh, in this case with the the woman, the wife, it doesn't mean um, that she's a yes person. doesn't mean that she's passive, doesn't mean that she always agrees, and it doesn't mean that that a woman is to submit to men, to all men. A woman is to submit to her husband to be supporting him and yielding. Uh, It doesn't mean that a woman is uh, to endure abuse from her husband. Again, we talked about this last week. That is not right, okay? If that's the situation, the person needs to get out of that place into a safe place, so it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean Paul is not saying here that women, submitting means you have to stay home because you're unqualified due to intelligence and due to different things. That's just where you are. Paul's not putting women down. Again, in that day, women were put down. Paul is lifting them up. Scripture lifts up women. Uh, Proverbs, for example, Proverbs 31, the noble wife who can find. The noble wife, if you read Proverbs 31, is the manager of the house. She's into real estate. She's into banking. She's doing her Etsy thing. Okay, everybody know what an Etsy thing is? <laughs> She's doing her Etsy thing. Right? She's on the board of a nonprofit. She's going to CrossFit. Her arms are strong. <laughs> She's a teacher. She's into retail. The, 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 the Proverbs 31 wife, and by the way, women, this is not for you to fill all, do all those things, but you can aspire to some of them but she's multivocational, multidimensional. So please hear this. Don't don't you scripture says this that a woman can be strong. A woman can be assertive. A woman can be resourceful. A woman can be decisive. A woman can be a leader. And if you're a wife and you've got some of those character traits, wonderful. Use them. But it's always supporting and working with your husband and yielding to him, not fighting him, not trying to overtake him. Love and treasure, support and encourage. To the husbands. Okay, all the husbands here, right? As a husband, I have never once in uh, my 30 years of marriage to my wife, Lisa, ever used this verse against her. I've never once said, i'm in charge i'm the one that's supposed to make the decisions i'm the leader of this house never once why because i just like her that we are submitting to one another out of reverence for christ the jesus that i am following if you look in the gospels matthew mark luke and john never once does he coerce force bully someone to do what he says. He loves them and gives them the choice, and they follow. As a husband, I don't bully, coerce, manipulate. I'm called to love my wife, to treasure her, to lay down my life for her. And I will also say that I've never once, and by the way, husbands, I am not the perfect husband, so please, okay, talk to my wife, she'll knock me down a bit. But I'm saying I've never used this verse against her. And I've never, ever made a decision without her signing off on it. Sometimes I make a decision, and I, come on, hon, come on, and it, right? Eventually, she signs off. Some of the decisions that are made, I, I sign off on. challenge for us in our relationship is, for me, my type of wiring, I can make a decision, you just give me all the facts, I can make a decision in 12 seconds or less. For her, let's just say it's a little longer than 12 seconds, (laughs) right? But we're working together. Mutual edification. But she has an attitude of, you're giving an account to God one day. You're the leader. But we don't talk about who's the leader. It's just she has that attitude of wanting to yield. We're both yielding. Let me talk to wives just for a moment. When you, as a wife... Again, he's to be submitting to you, but you as a wife, when you sometimes are not getting your way and you're learning to be unselfish and and you're submitting, you're choosing the path of least resistance. You're, You're saying to your husband, I want to work towards peace in this relationship. Now, if he's always getting his way, there's something wrong there. It needs to be back and forth. But you've just got this attitude of cooperating, not competing. You're supporting. Now, what if you're here and your wife and your husband is not a believer or he's an immature believer? What if your husband is not loving you and treasuring you the way he's called to? What do you do in that situation? Well, again, submitting does not mean that you are his slave, that you uh, endure abuse. Not at all. There needs to be parameters. There needs to be boundaries however having said that if your husband's just selfish or kind of mean but but he's not really abusing you he's just not a great husband that you peter says first peter three that you god can use you to help win him over without saying a word by your behavior by you going to jesus and yielding to him out of reverence for Jesus, you're trying to respond in the right way. It's saying something to your husband. He may or may not change. That's not your responsibility. But God can use you. And I will say God always honors faith, whether you're the husband or the wife, when you're, you're trying to turn your heart towards the other person. God always honors faith. And you will meet God in ways, in deeper ways, than you wouldn't, would would apart from that situation. Greatest thing in life is God. And when you show faith, he always says, I'm going to give you a little more of my grace, my strength, my power, my wisdom. So wives, even if your husband isn't perfect, God can still use you. First command or first instruction to this wife, she's equal, is to support. Second is uh, to encourage. In verse 33, Paul writes this, however each one of you, he's been talking to husbands. By the way, if you notice this passage, husbands got like two to three times more instructions than the women. Probably goes back to our brain thing. Okay, however each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. That the wife must be encouraging her husband rather than belittling him, rather than demeaning him, rather than like... putting him him in his place. So the wife, instead of scanning for the things in marriage to criticize and put down, is scanning the things in marriage to praise and appreciate. That Why is this that you're catching your husband do good things? I know for myself, I've told my wife more than one time, yeah, affirmation's okay, but I don't, you know, save it. Um make me a chocolate cake instead or something like that, you know. But, but it does affect me. And it affects us. When she says, hey, you know what? You're a good dad. Or you know what? Thank you for doing this. Even though I kind of like, okay, thanks. That God uses that. And so, wives, that you're using your words to encourage him that I want to believe in you. And even if he's at a kindergarten level, okay, the proverbial could you put the toilet seat down, okay? We never struggle with that in our marriage, okay, just being honest here. But, but your husband, he's disrespecting you, and he, he's not putting the toilet seat down. But then one day out of the blue, six months later, he puts the toilet seat down. And you're like, you are amazing. <laughs> I gave you that tutorial six months ago, and you remembered You're able, the hand-eye coordination, to drop it down. (laughs) I don't want to get my hopes up, but maybe this might lead to you taking two steps and putting your socks in the clothes hamper. Okay, you're not sarcastic, but you're just trying to catch him doing things right. You have this encouraging spirit. You're trying to turn your heart to him, and he's to be trying to turn his heart to you you. This text is not about master-servant. It's not about power and control. It's about lover and beloved. It's about two people, Paul, saying, hey, you might have the tendency to do this. You might have the tendency to do this. So make sure you're doing this. Make sure you're doing this. And you're dancing together. And in the next uh, few weeks, we'll talk about some of the more specifics in marriage and how we do this dance and how we fight for that connection. Uh, but today, I want to just briefly introduce, and we're going to talk about this in the next couple weeks, but briefly introduce this. What about gridlock in marriage? What about when you, maybe you're here, and you are turned from your spouse, and your spouse is turned from you, and you've just been apart? Okay, I'm not talking about a rough patch. My wife and I have never been in gridlock where we're apart, and we just, uh, nope, not going to talk to each other, but we have had rough patches. 30 years of marriage, more than one. Okay, anybody here, you have not had a rough patch in marriage? Okay. <laughs> She's just always thrilled about me every single day. Right. Have you ever been driving together? I mean, just getting a car together. Okay, right, married couples, cars? Okay, try that. It's okay, so gridlock in marriage. You turn from each other. Okay. I want to share three steps my wife that we've taken in our marriage um, to, 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 to do with those times where, man, it's kind of like, I don't, I'm not thrilled with you right now, and, and what do we do? And we found in our marriage, there's like three or four um, perpetual issues that keep coming up. It's interesting in our 30 years of marriage how they've kept coming up, but we're learn, learning how to deal with them. Uh, I mentioned before John Gottman, University of Washington, has done a lot of research on, on marriage, and, um, and they found through extensive studies that um, 69% of marital conflicts are never solved. 69% of what you argue about is never solved. And often it's because, right, that you just have two different people who see, see things different ways. It's not like you're right and she's wrong. It's not like she's right and you're wrong. You're just different. And we're going to talk about those differences. So those differences, those conflicts, they keep coming up. They found four years later that couples was, were still arguing about the same stuff in the same way. And I know for my wife, Lisa, and I, we got to the point where like, okay, we've talked about this way too much. What are we doing? Okay, what are we doing? doing because maybe you're here and you've just like you've tried to talk about it but it just hasn't worked and you're in a traffic gridlock how many of you just love being in in a traffic gridlock like just not moving is it not frustrating in a marriage is it not frustrating being disconnected and lonely it is so first i want to say to you if you find yourself in that place that if you're the husband that you would out of reverence for christ seek to submit to your wife seek to meet her needs and we'll be talking more about this next week and if you're the wife and your husband is not really doing anything that you would turn to christ and out of reverence for him you'd seek to submit to your husband that together you would begin to turn your hearts towards each other now that doesn't happen overnight but you'd make these little bids say you're the husband would you like to go for a walk would you like to go for a coffee Or would you like to do this? Now, maybe you're not at that place. Sometimes it takes getting a third party, a counselor to talk. That's an option. But you're making bids for this connection. And when you do turn to each other, first thing my wife and I learned is we needed to create a safe space to talk about our differences, a safe environment. 30 years ago, we got married, realized in time we're different and we would sit at a table and, uh, as I mentioned before, um, talking through these differences. And we had a lot of similarities. We loved each other, but we were different. And some of those discussions were negative. There was anger. There was indirect attacks. It, it, It was because we're different. And we had to create a safe space. In time, we started to come up with some ground rules. Okay, we're gonna listen to understand, again, the whole duct tape principle. I'm going to let you talk without me interrupting. And then when we talk, we're going to talk non-defensively. Husbands, it is so easy to be defensive. It really is. That's one of the things God had to break down in me, where I I, I didn't take things so personally. We're different, my wife and I. So we had to create that safe space to talk with each other. Now, there were other ground rules, uh, and we'll talk again in the next couple of weeks about some, of, some other ones, but I want to say this. If you are in, because there's different seasons in marriage, if you're in a season of marriage and you have a lot of pressure on you right now with kids or uh, health or to do with a job, I want to uh, remind you that for you to create that safe space, because intimacy, physical, emotional, spiritual, is not happening without a safe space, that for you, if you've got a lot of pressure and stress with kids and different things, you've got to have that talk when it's a good time to have the talk. If you're in the midst of it, you're both tired from the day and something has come up, okay, there's a time to say, hey, can we talk about this later? We're not going to stay apart. We talk about it later. One of the things in, for my wife and I, we've both, when we signed on, I do and I do, it's the long view that we're going to work things out no matter what. But, but for, for there's times when you're like, okay, this isn't the best time to talk. And what they found is, is that when you don't have your base heart rate when you're worked up, or your spouse is worked up, your, your heart uh, rate goes way up, and you're less able to process things, you're less able to problem-solve problem solve well, so you need to, outside of that heated moment, say, could we talk about it at this time? And you agree, and try to create that safe space. Um, I've got just a couple minutes here, so I'm gonna throw this in, it's not in my notes. But I wanna say to all the young People thinking about getting married. Can I just say this? This is my own personal observation. A wedding is a wonderful thing. Uh, It's a day, it's a wonderful thing. So have a nice wedding. But I want to encourage you, instead of putting all your money into this wedding that's so nice, that you would keep a little bit of it or take some of it and say, we're not going to have, maybe, we're going to dial it down just a couple so that we could take some of that money to invest in our relationship, our connection when we are married. A wedding's a day. A marriage is to be a lifetime. That when I hear, when we hear young couples, I can't, we can't, uh, you know, go out together because we have to pay a babysitter, we don't have money for a babysitter, okay? If you're going to get married, think about a babysitter down the road so that you and your wife can go out and make that connection. Okay? One more thing. Sorry, I'm up here. Uh, I just got to, you know... <laughs> One more thing. Same thing with the house. Like, it's nice if you get a house eventually, (laughs) young people, and hopefully keep praying. (laughs) But instead of spending all your money and tapping out all your money on a big house or whatever, get a little smaller house and have some money so you can spend it on doing things together. Your connection in marriage is more important than a a beautiful wedding, a big house, anything. That you're saying, this is... So important. We're going to pursue each other. We're going to uh, make this a priority. So, just a little note about for young couples uh, with money. Now, where am I? Okay, safe environment. Secondly, accept influence. You're talking about your differences. You don't see eye to eye about something with the kids. You're not on the same page. You accept the influence of the other person. And, husbands, this is harder for us it ten- typically. But when we can accept influence from our wives, it's a beautiful thing. In fact, it's the best thing you can do for yourself. A husband that's like, I know it all. I don't need to listen to you. That's not good. I know for my wife and I, we have different strengths, different weaknesses. And instead of those things that might irritate us because we're different, we use them and we leverage them. So in a sense, there's this balance going on. Case in point, when it comes to the health of our kids, now our kids are for the most part out of the home, but Not quite, but um, when they were growing up, again, two extremes when it came to health. My wife is like Dr. Lisa, and she's got 74 things for you to try and do. I'm like, he looks good to me, she looks good to (laughs) me. Here's two aspirin. Man, did we have a lot of discussions about that, right? But we balance each other, and I have conceded. She knows way more about health, so okay. But you, you're, you're, OK, God's put you in my life to influence me. And by just another note, not just so that you can be better together in the strengths, but also to chisel away at you. OK How many oh my, oh boy, God is sure using my spouse, I'll tell you, right? But God has put your spouse there to help you to be less selfish, to help you to be more gentle, to help you to be more patient so that you can show Jesus in your marriage. And then the third thing, safe environment, and you're willing to learn from each other, and then it's compromise because you both follow Jesus. We have compromised on so many things. Sometimes she gets her way, sometimes I get my way. We refer to it as the bigger piece of the pie. But it's not, we'll talk more about this in the next couple of weeks, it's not a contract where, okay, how many pieces of the pie have you got? How many of you got? It's a covenant, but it's this idea together, we're compromising not my way, not her way, our way under Christ. And here's what I want to leave with you. If you are married, your marriage is bigger than just you and your spouse. It's to be a picture of Christ and His bride, the church. That's my goal. I hope it's your goal as a follower of Jesus. We're an ongoing work, my wife and I. But the more and more I want to show Jesus in the way I'm a husband, and I, I know she wants to show Jesus in the way that she is a wife. Woodside, next week, we'll continue. just want to remind you that we will continue to talk about marriage here at this church. We have equipped marriage classes coming up for good marriages, great marriages, and not-so-good marriages. We also have marriage mentors that we're going to begin to introduce uh, shortly uh, where we'd love for you maybe to tap into that resource as well. So at Woodside, we're going to continue to have marriages that point to Jesus. One final thing, whether you're single, married, divorced, widow, widower, I think that we've got everybody here. More important than a temporary earthly marriage is our marriage, our relationship with Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross and rose again the third day. Every single word he said is true. He said he's coming back. New heaven, new earth. He's going to rule. And friends, I want to ask you, are you gonna be there at that wedding? If you're not familiar with the Bible, it starts with a marriage, a wedding and a marriage, man and woman, and it ends with another marriage, Christ and his people and his bride. Essentially, the story about Jesus, the Bible, is a love story about God for you and me. So I wanna ask you the more important question, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? If you don't today, you can. You can turn from your sin, trust him, and begin to follow him in the greatest relationship of all. Would you join with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you that you are a God of hope, that you are a good God And father thank you for the many beautiful marriages at woodside lord continue to work in those marriages and lord for those marriages that aren't going so well god you're the god who reconnects and father i we ask you that you would begin today once again to be working in the hearts of the husband and working in the heart of the of the wife as well god there is hope with you lord we pray for strong marriages at woodside And Lord, whether we're single, divorced, married, widow, widower, whatever it is, Lord, most of all, we thank you that you love us and that one day we will be with you because of what you've done for us. We pray all this in your name. Amen.